Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the future of corporate communications and how you can create an authentic plan that will help your business connect with its stakeholders much more authentically. Our guest today, Meg Eldridge, is a communications strategist and trusted advisor of organizational leaders. Meg heads up the corporate communications function at Keck Medicine at the University of Southern California. Her career includes several positions at major Los Angeles public relations agencies prior to a decade-long consultancy business. Now, together, we'll talk about the evolution of corporate communications management and how companies can stay ahead of the curve to ensure that their messaging is effective. Now, before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Meg. Thank you so much and welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Glenn. Well, of course. I mean, this issue of corporate communications, storytelling, uh, keeping people informed, you know, maintaining a sense of relevancy, reputation management. You know, in today's age of personalization, it's a whole new playbook. Um, So let's just jump right into this, Meg. I mean, today's media landscape is incredibly complex for organizations to navigate. How has this changed the role, responsibility, and qualifications of what you would consider a top-tier communications executive? Well, I would just have to say, Glenn, there's a much higher demand for my counsel right now. And there's a different type of counsel that is being sought out. The way I see it, there's been a foundational shift in communications, sort of a you know, a new paradigm, if you will, instead of just, you know, media relations, executive communications, crisis communications, you know, employee engagement, all of those different types of communications. What you're seeing now is an overlay of issues management hmm. across all of all of any of the communications that are going out. We're in an environment now where, A, we cannot control our environment. You know, there's a, a people are very sensitive and people are very um, aware of issues, aware of nuance. And in addition, people are expecting more, you know, people are expecting so much more from their from the businesses in which they 
you know, they purchase goods, they, they visit retail establishments where you seek your health care, where you are employed. People are expecting a lot more. In fact, there's a reputable trust and credibility survey called the Edelman Trust Barometer. 60% of potential employees want their CEO to comment on controversial social and political issues. This was not the case years ago, but this is where we are now. And this is why we need a different approach to communications. Well, you talk, you mentioned this issues management and nuance. Go to the nuance, elaborate on that, because I think what's happened uh, in recent years, especially uh, throughout the pandemic and, and social unrest, is it, you know, we tend to in our efforts to be so careful and to deliver the right message, I feel we lose the authenticity when what really people want is someone who's genuine and real and not just how messages are delivered, but what the words are within those messages. How do we, how do you manage the, the, the nuance associated with what's going on in communications? Well, that's a great question, Glenn, because it's something that I think everyone struggles with. You're never going to get something 100% right. It will be right for your organization and right for your leader. It may not be right for other people, and that's fine. You know, I think what you have to do is you can't follow a formula. You, you know, you'll get in trouble that way. But what you can do is really what I've done sort of as part of our quality control, so to speak, is bring together a diverse group of sources, different voices, different viewpoints. So as needed, if I need people to look at it, we can look at how might this land? You know, how, how all communications are well-intended, but they're not always received in the way that they're intended. And I think what you have to do is be really careful about looking at um, in, in not making it so careful and watered down that you don't have anything left, you have to know your audience first and foremost, know your values. And if you stay sturdy to your audience and your values, you'll be fine. You Let know, me give you an example. Sure. No, go ahead. go ahead. I think you can get an example. So, um, you know, you want to know when you want to when you want to engage and when you don't want to engage. A few weeks ago, one of our executives reached out to me with an email. He was concerned because he received a patient complaint. They were beside themselves, upset and angry that we had raised the pride flag in front of Keck Medical Center in June. And he's like, well, what do we do? And my response is absolutely nothing. We're not going to engage in this. This is one where we won't. Our values as an organization, you know, we're many years in a row, we've received the Healthcare Equality Index, which is like a national benchmarking tool to evaluate LGBTQ plus care. We have all a uh, gender affirming care program. We're very active employee resource group, Tech Pride. Uh, we wouldn't honor that with even a response. So that, that for example, is a really small, small example crystal clear, on-brand, off-brand, we don't engage. That was off-brand for us. And that's a good example because oftentimes we become very reactionary, fearing that 
one complaint might lead to another. Thus, how do we get out in front of that? And what you're saying is that there's certain things that we don't need to get out in front of because we're really we already in front of it, right? Be comfortable deselecting. Hmm. Like that. And I said, and, and, and I got a little like a little back and forth on that. And I said, the amount of goodwill we would receive if it ever, if this person did want to create noise, the amount of goodwill we would receive from our tried and true stakeholders outweighs anything. Yeah. So Meg, as a corporate communications you know, executive, I mean, you're responsible for the organization's reputation. And we know that things are just moving and changing faster than ever. How do you get out in front of the news to control the narrative? Or is that even possible anymore? You know, I think, Glenn, it comes back to your audience and your audience is not just the news media. You have news media, you have social media, you have your internal constituents. Right now, we are in, you know, a retention and recruiting crisis and our employees are so important. And that is a higher priority. So getting out ahead of the news and sometimes our employees and sometimes our main constituents hear things through social media or internal communications. You know, it's a multi-layered approach. Um, and you have to back to that deselecting piece. You can't be reactive to a a breaking news head banner that comes across your computer. You have to know where you stand. You have to know, be aligned with your executives and your organization so that you're ready for when you need to be reactive and you know where you're pushing and you're proactive. So you have your space and other things can just fall off if they aren't hitting a key component of your audience. Well, you know, let me just jump in, Meg, because You've said a couple of times, and I get it, and, and you're, it makes a lot of sense. You've got to know your audience. But is it getting more and more difficult to actually know who your audience is? I mean, you may know the demographic, you may know the age range, but do we really know our audience as much as we should? Or are we making assumptions? Well, you know, you know who your key who you think your key stakeholders are, you think you know your key audience. It is the world. It is, it is everybody. You know, we can't, we can't fool, us, fool ourselves. It's, it's otherwise. And especially in healthcare. I mean, what, it's one of the few industries that touches every race, age, demographic, socioeconomic. And if it's not you given at this moment, it might be a friend or family member. And it is high emotional content. You know, healthcare is very, very personal. And it's the tone more than it is the audience. I mean, it is the audience, but it's the tone in which you speak. I love that. Well, and you would think that for something like healthcare, which is so personal, tone is critical to connect authentically with the audience to even want to further engage in knowing the news of the day coming from care. Yeah. Now, here's here's another example of where we push forward because we know our audience. Um, I think it was October 2020. There was the crisis in Armenia. 
um, mm -hmm. the border of the war with Azerbaijan. And many of our employees are Armenian, mm -hmm. especially at USC Verdugo Hills Hospital based in Glendale. Glendale is one of the largest diasporas of Armenians outside of Armenia or the, the largest. And people were coming to work with heavy hearts. Um, they had family, they had friends who were directly impacted. I got a call late um, one evening from our CEO wanting some support to help put, put a memo together to, to our staff. You know, in Los Angeles, you had protests going on. This was greatly felt in Los Angeles. Freeways were blocked. I don't know if you recall, the Hollywood freeway was blocked. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it's, it was a simple message of kindness and support. A message where, you know, we know you may have friends and families who are directly affected or in harm's way. Please be, you know, understanding and sensitive to your colleagues. Every, you know, many people are coming to work with, as I said, heavy hearts. And it, and it gave a, a link to our what we call our care for the caregiver support internally. So it was a simple message, but it was heartfelt. Mm. And you can... It resonated and it mattered to us because we were close to it. It mattered to us because it affects our community around us. And it mattered because it affects so many of our employees. And we followed up several months later, there was a concerted sort of enterprise wide effort to like raise some aid, um, some relief efforts, other. And, and we did a recap maybe three or four months later about, you know, what we had done. And if you're talking about this new level of communications and being sensitive and connecting with a, your audience and who matters to you, the dozens of emails that our CEO received afterwards, grateful, you know, so grateful that this was acknowledged. That's a home run. Exactly. Well, and that's part of what's new now. We, it should be expected of an institution to be much more in tune to the audiences and the communities that it serves, especially when you consider, and, and this is kind of the transition here, Meg, that regardless of statements that are made, actions that are taking, taken by organizations, everything seems to be political today. How do you avoid the political trap? I don't think, you know, people are political, Glenn. And and our climate is more political in terms of avoiding a political trap. Again, if you stay on your values, if you stay sturdy with what you believe in. You'll be OK and be ready to weather any detractors. It's it's OK to have some detractors. We always will. True. But stay on that course. And if you have alignment with your leaders, you know, it's no longer are you stopping in for quarterly meetings to discuss, you know, new announcements or newsletters. You're really tightly aligned with how people are thinking. And if you know how your leaders think and then you sort of bring to it what a skilled communicator can bring to it is that ability to look at things from multiple angles and try to again, just shift that nuance a little bit. Is this going to be received? Is it going to be a thud <laughs> or is it a soft landing? Yeah. Well, Meg, this kind of brings me up to this uh, 
discussion around thought leadership. I mean, today, an executive, I mean, clearly when you're in the C-suite and in senior executive roles representing any institution, uh, the need for media training and uh, presenting points of view in the media become much more important. But you just said a few things. I mean, are they skilled communicators? Um, are they able to actually deliver a message? I mean, this one concerns me because I think sometimes we're trying to position these executives as uh, thought leaders, meaning people who are bringing original thought, uh, when really what we're asking them to do is represent their institution with clarity, insight, and purposeful messaging to give people trust that the institution is there to serve them. What's this fine line? You know, how do you think of thought leadership and, and what is its ultimate role these days? So that's an interesting point, Glenn, because there is no one person, even your CEO, who's going to be your best spokesperson on all issues. Hmm. You know, you have to really hone in and figure out when I when I work with executives for, you know, develop their sort of thought leadership their communications platform, if you will, like what matters to them personally? What do they get excited about? What do they want to speak in depth about? And it's going to be different from one person to the next. And it could be the same organization, but different leaders may have different areas that they want to talk about. So you really want to go where their, where their passions lie and don't expect that, that they want to talk about every topic. And that's, that's, you have to just keep it right where they feel comfortable. And there's a dozen or more topics that a healthcare executive could talk about. Dozens, you know, focus on maybe five or six, three or four. And it, and it, and it will provide the authentic voice that they need to give. And, you know, just interesting in this month's Harvard Business Review here of July, August, they had an article looking at what is required of CEOs nowadays. And it's those soft skills. Exactly. It's being an adept communicator. It's someone who can look at people-oriented solutions. You know, it's that type of leader that companies are looking for and that, that helps CEOs thrive, you know, aside from industry experience. So it's very personal. So um, how do we get these leaders in institutions like tech medicine uh, to embrace their role in corporate communications? I mean, in fact, how would you, as you think about that, Meg, where do you think the, the, the majority of their external communication time is spent? Is it really in delivering new innovative uh, new stories? Is it crisis management? Address this one for us, please. Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, closest to the heartbeat is where you need to go. That's your internal employees, your internal stakeholders, your employer employees, your board of directors, perhaps um, your patients, the general community. That's sort of you look at. I, I see things very geographically <laughs> and you that's how you would look at the cadence of their communications and then taking that same sort of look at the issues that matter to them. You know, do you want to talk about workforce resiliency? Do you want to talk about big data? 
you know, what is the, the topic that really matters to you? And then sort of having that overlay. Um, that's, that's, that's how we look at it. But I think internally, and to get them more engaged, to answer that second part of your question, there's this virtuous cycle. When you receive emails back from your employees thanking you mm. for acknowledging something like the crisis in Armenia, that's going to encourage people to be more engaged. When you see those results, if you have grateful um, you know, feedback, you have positive experiences, whether you're, you know, it's a media story, it's an experience speaking at a conference, it's somebody who stops you in the hall and, and shares some, shares a word or a board member calls you up, happy to see our organization in the news. Those are the moments that help the engagement even more. How, you know, with all these changes in, in corporate communications, um, Meg, what do you think is the ultimate measurement of success in a corpcom strategy? I mean, the more I listen to you, it's more about making the right decisions on uh, topics that we engage with and those that we don't. Uh, but it's also how do we become much more personal in building trust and almost reintroducing ourselves uh, to our audience that maybe haven't seen how much we've evolved over the years. I mean, what, what's really the true measurement of success? Well, there's in any communications, there's measurement that is similar to showing up to work. Let's say, you know, you have your measurements of how many stories were placed. Were you in the headline? What are the clicks? How, uh, you know, how many people did it reach? So you have those type of measurements that are just analytics. Sure. Um, important, important analytics. Uh, but when you take it beyond and you look at the feedback and the response that people give you, and we often see whether it's any of our audiences, whether it's media or internal, good messages beget good messages. And, and once you, you can see media begetting media, speaking opportunities begetting speaking opportunities, that's a success. And, and an executive, if, it, if we're talking specifically around executive communications, they know, they feel it. Of course. And when you have a board commenting or other people, community leaders commenting on an outreach program, for example, our vaccination deployment, we um, did a tremendous job working with um, our neighboring communities, which is a historically under-resourced communities in East Los Angeles and Boyle Heights, we opened up vaccinations to our employees, their parents, their family, their extended family, um, especially for many of our the first ones to do that work, cafeteria workers, our 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 um, EVS workers, environmental service workers who clean our hospital and clean our COVID wards. We brought their families in. We sent shuttle buses to some of the um, housing uh, projects near housing facilities nearby to bring people in. And these are, as I said, under-resourced communities. And we offered to vaccinate them first and early because they needed it the most. And we got a lot of good feedback on that across whether it was civic leaders, other patients, the community, 
it just felt so good. That's when you know things are a success. You know, this all comes back to the head and the heart. And I think we've spent so much time uh, focusing on what matters to the head and not the heart. And the more I listen to you, the more I can connect, the more that a message can connect to my heart. That's what I'm going to act on. That's what I'm going to respect. And that will give me a different uh, level of appreciating um, ways to further engage with an institution like uh, Keck Medicine, because uh, it's not just about the success. It's about the significance that they can bring. Meg, as always, love and love our conversations. Appreciate everything that you always bring. Uh, any final comments before we close? No, Glenn, it's just I, I see the value of communications is changing. I think people across the C-suite are seeing the value of communications. What I see uh, differently is, we're, is I'm getting calls from HR, <laughs> from risk, from compliance, from, you know, I'm on, on, on call and, and I'm tapped often for those people. And I just hope a lot of organizations, you know, do the same because how you deliver your message, how you bring forth your, your stories, how you protect your reputation uh, and further your reputation is so important. Well, it takes a leader like you to help an enterprise uh, recognize the value of it, because this is not just about clicks anymore. This is about messages that matter and bring people informed of the magnitude of the moment that we're living in. Meg, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. As we close each show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.